Most of us, if not all of us, are familiar with the great commandment, love God, love your neighbor. Maybe we're so familiar with the summary of the law from Jesus that we miss some of the things, some of the power of what it can mean for our lives. The first part, love God with all your heart and mind and strength, comes from Deuteronomy and the giving of the law. And the second part, love your neighbor as yourself, comes from Leviticus, which we heard read this morning. And it's part of something that has come to be known as the Holiness Code. A long, a lot of chapters uh, giving a code of behavior for an agrarian society. A lot of rules about how to live and how to be holy. It says, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. A commandment to holiness. And it was a matter of life and death. It was understood that God was really dangerous to be in relation with unless you were in right relation with God. And you knew you were in right relation and you knew you were holy when you were obedient. And so as a matter of real importance, if you wish to live in relation with God, that you be obedient. And if you're not obedient, you die. Holiness is a choice and a decision was understood as obedience to a lot of the laws. Now, it's... This business of holiness, I think about the place, the church as holy. I think about things as holy. I think about God as holy in the sense of, of uh, the ultimate sense of wholeness, a being in itself, not derivative from something such as our human imagination. I assume that when we call God holy, we're saying God is worthy of worship and devotion, somehow other or exalted. But I don't tend to think of myself as holy, or you, with all due respect. Um, and, and that's actually probably a good thing. I mean, there's nothing wrong, with, I think, of being holy as being particularly saintly or particularly devout in some way or pious. Nothing wrong with any of these things. But for me, it smacks a little bit of notions of moral self-righteousness, a little bit of prudery, perhaps. Uh, and if I'm thinking of someone as holy, I'm also probably thinking they're not going to be much fun at a dinner party, you know, just, just in general. It's not, if, in other words, if we have to aspire to being holy, please, God, may it turn out to be something to which we might genuinely wish to aspire and not necessarily about being devout or sainted or notably pious. See, we've, we know that this business of holiness has to do with being in right relation with making choices about our practice of the faith, about uh, living in such a way that we are obedient to the law of love, which is something that can be chosen and not something that is simply a matter of feeling. Love God and love your neighbor. Love God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. You shall be holy, for the Lord your God is holy. And so holiness is not optional for us. Uh, and yet the holiness code of Leviticus, which is the source of many of our culture wars, is not really relevant in, in most of its aspects because we're not living in a small tribal agrarian community. So I find myself imagining what would a holiness code look like today? What would we write if we're writing a holiness code uh, for obedience to the law of love? And I'd expect that the topics we would address would be pretty much the same ones that get addressed in the Holiness Code of Leviticus and elsewhere in the Pentateuch. I'd expect there'd be some chapters about worship. 
not so much about the minutiae of how we worship. We spend a lot of time here planning details of worship, but none of it's the sort of thing that keeps, necessarily keeps God awake at nights. It's, it's, uh, now, don't tell liturgics professors this because they know that everything they say is really important and should be obeyed by everybody and, and would write the holiness code a little differently than I would. In fact, our own John Herring made it all the way through seminary without ever hearing the old saw about the uh, difference between a liturgist and a terrorist. And, uh, and the difference is that you can negotiate with a terrorist. And, and so, so we don't want that kind of approach to, to worship. But we would, I think, want to say something about our own expectations about showing up for worship, about loving God, having something to do with re- being continually turned or oriented toward that which really matters so that we live according to what really matters. And we gather together in worship to hear again the story. Uh, tells us who we are and tells us who we can be and through which God shapes us. And so I think there'd be some things in the holiness code about expectations about attendance. Now, you all are here, so you can feel pretty good about that one. I don't know where everyone else is this morning, but you might pass the word that, that in our holiness code, we're going to have something about attendance. If you love God, you will join in worship as a matter of practice and a matter of priority in your life. Uh, you shall love the Lord your God and be holy as God is holy. Our senior warden, Elizabeth Robertson, was one of a small team who joined me recently in the Diocese of Western Tanganyika, visiting our friends in the far west of Tanzania. And she observed that there, people seem to organize their lives around their faith. It's front and center. We pray all the time, thanksgiving for a safe journey, prayer that the journey may be safe, and so on. Um, organize our lives around church and worship and gathering and expressing the faith. And she said, I realized how I accommodate my faith so often, how I organize myself uh, and, and worship becomes something that, if I'm really honest, worship becomes something that I do when there isn't a better opportunity. It's something I sort of fit in. And our holiness code, I think, would say, no, you've got to make it a practice and a priority if you wish to be holy, if you wish to be in right relation, if you wish to love God with all your heart, you need to show up in worship. And then I think there'd be a natural transition, as there is in Leviticus, to some rules or some norms or some expectations about community, some chapters on how we treat each other, on how we make room for the widow and the orphan and the stranger, and how we um, how we do with each other. Just as in the agrarian culture reflected in Leviticus, I would want principles that govern how we behave toward each other. What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? And in some ways, we've got that already in the baptismal covenant. Seek and serve Christ in all persons. Respect the dignity of every human being, and so on. There are some shenanigans going on, ecclesiastic shenanigans going on, again in the Diocese of South Carolina, you may be familiar with it. If you're not, count your blessings. Uh, it's not, it doesn't fall in the, ed- nothing that happens in South Carolina re- falls in the edifying column very often. And what's going on now is some Episcopalians have brought up their bishop on charges of abandoning the faith of the church and so on. So just set that aside because what's interesting here, to me anyway, is what the bishop has said in response to these charges. He said that the, um, the problem 
uh, with the Episcopal Church is the false doctrine of indiscriminate inclusivity that has suffocated the mission of the church. Indiscriminate inclusivity. Fascinating. I would consider that the heart of the gospel, not the problem. I mean, God's grace is indiscriminate. If it was discriminating, what would that say about us? You know, even we are included in the extraordinary abundance of God's grace. I suspect if we pushed the bishop on what he meant, he would say something about including the unrepentant. And then we'd be into what do you need to repent from? And then we'd be into culture wars again. But the gospel is not culture wars. The gospel is about God's love and God's grace and and the call to respond to that love with all of our heart and with all of our soul and love our neighbor as ourselves. Uh, And so our chapters in our holiness code might be about this indiscriminate inclusivity, but we doubtless want to say something about the boundaries that define that into which we are included in God's grace and something about how and when those boundaries change, particularly in respect to how we treat each other as one group or another jockeys for power, making claims about the Bible or the church tradition. But indiscriminate inclusivity, I think that's a good T-shirt deal. I mean, it seems to be the pretty good starting point if we want to be a holy people. And you shall be holy, as the Lord your God is holy, loving your neighbor as yourself. And so a third section, there are probably lots of sections in our holiness code, but a third section follows what we see in Leviticus. And that is demands about how we practice the faith, how we decide and choose to love, how we embody the gospel that says it is in giving that we receive and in serving that we find freedom and and in dying to ourselves that we find we're most fully who we were created to be and, 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 and living uh, fully as a life of love. And so I'd expect there would be some section on stewardship, on committed, sustaining giving that in turn sustains us, the practice of generosity. And I'd expect there'd be some sections on, on some times where we are consciously serving others as a means of opening ourselves to this uh, truth that it's as we lose ourselves that we find ourselves most fully, as we give ourselves away in love that we find we are most fully uh, rooted in love. And when we know we are loved, we can do anything. We can be brave and courageous and free. And so I'd expect there'd be some encouragement about uh, giving. We're going to hear from Tim and Beth Fralingos, our canvas chairs, in a, in a few minutes. And I would expect that what they say would be in our, our book of holiness, our holiness code. So I'd expect some things about worship, about community, about the practice of faith, particularly the practice of generosity. What would you include? What else do we need? A way of being specific in response to God saying, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Love your Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. As ever, I invite you to continue your response to the gospel in a time of silent prayer. What commitments do you have? Or what commitments do you need to make about attending worship, about making space in your life for others, and about giving 
of yourself. In silence and in response to the gospel, let us pray.